Austin Sendrick, whose grandfather won the Indy 500 as a car owner. Sendrick is going to bring them to the line way up high to block Ryan Blaney. And at the line, Sendrick beats Bubba Wallace by half a car length. And they crash going into turn one. <laughs> this race never disappoints. No, it does not. Welcome back to the Full Tank with Phil podcast, the first ever podcast about gambling on NASCAR. And this week's episode, well, we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to digest here because we're going through a little bit of a Daytona hangover. On this episode, we're going to recap what we saw go down in the 500. I thought it was a good race. We'll talk about any takeaways from it, how we did with our bets, you know, we had a lot of action on last week. What shook out in the right way, the wrong way, and everything in between there. And um, any other thoughts on Daytona? And then we got to get out of that Daytona hangover. We got to get out of the funk because we're going to move to California. Yeah, that's right. We're going back across the country to Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California. We're going to talk about what that track looks like and what to expect this weekend, why this is a, a pretty big deal in some people's eyes, and then strategy for betting on this race. I'm only taking two winners this week, and I'll explain why, so we'll talk about that in the winner section then. Some finishing position bets are getting harder to make. We'll talk about that conversation and call out a few guys there, and then head-to-head section back again this week. So everything that we're used to, and then at the very end, a quick, 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 Phil's fired up. I'm, I'm just a little annoyed about something that I saw on the 500, and I want to rant just for a second, and then we'll wrap it up. So, a lot to talk about. Like I said, I'm not kidding. A lot to get to. And, of course, we'll start with the Daytona 500 and our winner, Austin Sendrick. Yes, he is your rookie winner, and I think it's the first time since Trevor Bain, maybe, in 2011, I think. Uh, but hey, if you listen to the podcast, Derek called him out as someone that he liked to win the race. We, when I was on the flag hunting podcast, Chris called him out as well. He was plus 2,500. My take on Sindrick heading into this race was that I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, but I just didn't like what I saw at the short track at the Coliseum. I felt like he was kind of out to lunch. So I really needed him to kind of prove himself. Well, boy, did he. Um, Chris and, and Derek talking about him, they got me thinking, you know, on race day, I threw a little bit of money down on him and, and felt pretty good about it at plus 2,500. So happy about that. It also had me hit the season win total bet on Austin Sindrick, excuse me, on the first race of the season. So when you make those types of bets on the guys who are plus, or sorry, 0.5 for the year on their win total and they hit on the first or few races in the season my goodness that feels damn good so very happy about hitting that season win total right away um, and then it's a check mark in the penske over win column so uh, felt good coming out of that race with him winning there were no huge incidents if we're talking about the race overall i thought it was a very good race um, there was great action throughout and not any huge accidents. There were a few that took some guys out that some pretty big names um, that we'll talk about on this podcast got knocked out, but nothing major, especially at the end. You know, the last few years, I feel like we've been waiting for that absolutely enormous wreck. And then there's about like 12 guys on the, the lead lap at the end of the race. Nothing like that. And the, the end was pretty clean and fun to watch. A lot of action on that final lap. There was a bet that I put out there on Instagram that I thought for sure was going to hit. And it was, will the person that takes the white flag win the race, yes or no? And I said no on that bet. Uh, it was even odds. It was like minus 110 apiece. And I thought for sure we were going to see what we saw the last few years, right? The leader going into the last lap is kind of a sitting duck. And he really did a decent job of maneuvering. Now, I think he pissed off his teammate, Ryan Blaney, our boy. He was the one I was rooting for, by the way. I mean, if you listen to the podcast last week, he was the one I really felt good about. I had a lot of money down on Blaney to win the race. And I'll tell you what, that's what gambling is all about, right? Blaney, you bet on someone that you really feel passionate about 
and he made it super interesting for me in, up to that final turn, that final stretch there, going to the checkered flag. So I got my money's worth as far as excitement. I was obviously not thrilled that Blaney got run into the wall by his own teammate after pushing him for basically the whole end of the race. But um, I digress. You know, it was a clean race, no major wrecks, knocking out half the field at the end. So there's something to be said about that when all eyes are on the sport. I mean, I had so many people texting me all day Sunday, like, hey, who do I like here? Who do I like here? And I was thrilled that, you know, my conversation would go something like this. Okay, do you want uh, guys at the top of the list or do you want long shots? And anybody that said they wanted long shots, I told them three names. I told them Justin Haley, Austin Sindrick, and Christopher Bell. And I'm thankful that I was telling people Sindrick uh, because I could look back and, and look like a genius. So feels good there. Some of the other bets, we faded Suarez and Stenhouse in the head-to-head matchups that we talked about. And for the most part, that worked out. Um, Stenhouse was a little pesky until the, the very end. Um, he ended up getting dumped there. He took out our boy Chris Busher, which hurt. Uh, we had him in a top 10 pick, um, but he got taken out in that Stenhouse wreck. But So it was kind of a, a wash there with all of the bets that I had against Stenhouse subsequently hitting there, but he took out my top 10 Busher pick. Um, and Suarez really wasn't a factor at all. He, I think he finished 18th, and uh, so he was like right in the middle. But the big one that I had was Corey LaJoy versus Suarez, um, and then obviously the one from the full tank face-off, which we're going to touch on in just a second. But for the most part, if you faded Suarez, you, you made out okay. Um, so I was happy that you know that sort of worked out. I'm going to look to do that more, kind of find your, your guy that you want to fade and put a lot of bets around that uh, if that's possible. you got to get the sports books to present those types of bets to you. But uh, last week, it definitely worked out. So the full tank face-off, that was with Derek. We did the, the head-to-head matchup picks there. He was all over Ross Chastain, and, and Ross, you know, he had some trouble early in that one. I thought for sure that was going to be a win for Derek, and it ended up being a, a sweep 3 nothing in my favor there. A little bit of luck involved you know, Amarola had a great run, finished fifth, I believe. So I was stuck with him, and um, I made out like a bandit there. And then my pick against Ricky Stenhouse uh, worked out for me in that one. So all in all, 3-0 win there in the head-to-head matchups with the full tank faceoff. Derek texted me, he's like, dude, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Uh, you know, I, I think he, I'm 3-0 against him, I believe. Um, but I told him, hey, you can't give up, you know. Next time you come on, we got to do it. So we will keep track of that. Big bet there. McDowell finished with the top 10. That was a great hit. Felt really happy about that, plus 200. Um, I don't know what the books were looking at. McDowell at Daytona is an absolute lock. But the most painful bet of the night was Ty Dillon. Ty Dillon, I was all over him, plus 350 to finish in the top 10. And he finished 11th. And to make it worse was the fact that there were guys that, after crossing the line, they got into a wreck and got hung up, right? So when the camera angle zoomed out, there were guys that I couldn't see had already crossed the finish line, but I saw Ty Dillon, what looked to be about like sixth or seventh in the line as far as cars actually running. Uh, But unbeknownst to me, there were cars that crossed the finish line and then wrecked so I was jumping for joy because I had a decent amount on Ty to finish in the top 10. And then when they showed the results, I was just devastated. So, so close there. Anybody that rode that one with me, that was just pure pain. Uh, and and Justin Haley, you know, he, he let down uh, towards the beginning of the race. I had a, a lot of bets on that one, but um, we will talk about Justin Haley's stuff when we get to Phil's fired up. So I'm going to save that as a little tidbit, a little teaser there, because I was very unhappy with what went down there. So um, all in all, I thought Daytona was a great race. I thought Fox did a great job. Tony Stewart, Clint Boyer, Mike Joy in the booth. I thought that was really fun. Um, I enjoy Tony Stewart. He might rub some people the wrong way just because of you know who he is and um, being a team owner and everything there, but I thought they presented the race really well. They do such a great job, and I'm happy to have NASCAR back, and I love Fox's portion of the season for sure. So we are sadly 
going to have to now put Daytona in the rear view mirror, unfortunately, because now we got to shake it off, right? Get out of this funk. You know, you're looking back on what a great race it was and, and your winning bets there. But we've got another race. They don't wait around, especially if you're the teams, because they got to bust ass all the way back out to California to Auto Club Speedway. Hey, man. Yeah. California, it's So surprisingly, there's a lot to talk about here with Auto Club, and we'll start with just going over the actual description of the racetrack here real quick because we haven't been there in a little while. Two-mile racetrack, it's a D-shaped track, and speeds are similar to Michigan, um, also a two-mile race pack. There's not exactly pack racing, though like you'd see there. So drivers are kind of on their own and that makes it a little bit more interesting. I guess it's more in their hands. You know, we're coming off of Daytona where, you know, super speedway pack racing, got the trains, um, the freight train approach to it. No, this is a little bit different. The thing that makes it, I think, intriguing to some people. I mean, I read an article earlier this week saying that this is one of the five races that is a must see this year, which I thought that was absolutely crazy to hear that. Um, I could think of four right off the top of my head that are must-see, but hey, they're calling it out. And I think one of the reasons why is because the track is so wide, you get an opportunity for about like four or five wide at some points on the, the track. So that I can see on paper being very, very intriguing. I mean, you want to see that's pure craziness, right? Four or five wide. I mean, that's not something that you're used to seeing on a week-by-week basis. The problem, in my opinion, is the cars have the ability to get strung out. And so the draw of this like four or five wide stuff really goes out the window after a few laps because then the stronger cars will prevail and, you know, they'll get strung out and um, it'll be all about how cars can, you know, do on the restarts and pit road adjustments and things like that. Can they get tracked down? So um, comes down to cautions. There hasn't been that many cautions the last few times we were there. So they do get strung out. Uh, So that, to me, is not really that interesting. It could also be a factor in the fact that they're actually converting Auto Club into a short track. They say it's coming soon. I actually did a little bit of digging trying to get a sense of where they were with this to see are they actually going to be on the short track next year, and there's not much word on it. There's really only the articles about when they made the announcement. I haven't found anything that said definitely, yeah, next year in 2023, the short track will be ready. But I think that was the goal when they originally announced it. So that would tell me that someone at NASCAR or someone at Auto Club was like, hey, this track really doesn't produce that much drama. So maybe we should, you know, get in the short track game, which I love. You know, I've been on record saying we got to get more short tracks in here. But, you know, Auto Club going there this week, got to make the best of it. The other thing that I think is interesting And I guess I'm saying that in a polite way is that NASCAR kind of, you know, jumped the gun or not jumped the gun, but they they shot their shot, I guess you could say, in California with the Coliseum. Right. They they pulled out all the stops, all the celebrities, all that stuff. And that's what they used to do when they came out to this race, like them doing that with the Coliseum really left Fontana and Auto Club out to dry, uh, per se. So I guess, you know, the short track stuff is going to be the next draw there in Fontana. But um, the other thing about it is, you know, you're going all the way at Coliseum and then you're flying all the way back across the country to go to Daytona. And now you're flying all the way back. It's starting a West Coast swing, thank goodness. Like they get some bang for their buck out there. We've got the, the California race. We've got Phoenix and Las Vegas, bang, 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 which I appreciate them doing that in the schedule. Uh, but that back and forth really is not financially well done. Um, So I would expect to see some people around the teams complaining about that a little bit. But in any case, if this is the last race at this two-mile track, I would say that this is a a must-see. So maybe that was another factor in that guy writing that article. So let's take a look at some track stats. 31 races on this two-mile track. Three times has the winner won from the pole. The last time it happened was Martin Truex Jr. in 2018. Starting in the top five, the winner has started there 42% of the time. And in the top 10, he started 55% of the time. So that's not too shabby. You know what I mean? Qualifying and practice are going to be important. I'm definitely going to be paying attention to them. Um, The thing is, though, it's not the end-all be-all. 
outside of the top 20, it's happened 23% of the time the winner has started outside. The last time it happened, though, was a while back, Kevin Harvick in 2011. Now, the thing about Auto Club is they're only there once a year. So when I say 2011, it's not the same as me saying 2011 at something like Daytona or Bristol. Um, We're there twice a year, so that's a lot more races in that time span. Um, So that once a year factor is going to come into play. Some of the other things that we talk about here coming up, manufacturer trends. This is important to me. It's really broken up between Toyota and Chevy. All right. They have really just traded jabs over the last 14 years or so. Ford has one win in the last 14 races, and that was Brad Keselowski in 2015. Before that, it was like, I want to say Matt Kenseth, I think, but uh, I could be wrong. It was a long time ago. The other thing about this racetrack is that they didn't go there last year. So this combination of only going to Auto Club once a year and then skipping it last year has put us in a bit of a pickle here when you're looking at the current drivers because we've got some younger guys, a lot of young drivers in the Cup Series. And we've got some of these guys who have not had the experience at this racetrack. So we're going to have to do a little bit digging through the stats and going to be actually leaning on some similar racetracks on my stat website. It gives you the option to compare or or throw into the mix similar racetracks. So for this race specifically, they compare it to Michigan, Kansas, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Texas, which those other than Michigan were the cookie cutter intermediate 1.5 mile tracks. I was a little surprised by that, but I don't get to decide. You know, this is just what the, the data site gives me. So I'm going to call this out throughout this episode. When I'm leaning on stats on some of these guys who haven't had much experience, I will look to that a little bit. Not going to throw all the stock into that, but. You know, just so as we're talking about it, you know where I'm pulling it from. Um, The other thing about it is my stat site gives me specifically the last four races, which I find pretty important because this is where you're able to get a good group of the guys who are racing right now. I do have some stats of the last 10 races, but like I said, that's 10 years worth of stuff. There was a lot of guys who were not racing 10 years ago, Um, so I'll call them out. I'll do my best to say, like, you know, this is the last 10 years. This is the last four. Um, I, for one, am really leaning on those last four uh, races to really, you know, specifically focus on when we're talking about how these guys are going to do and um, leaning on the data here. So that's really what we're working on. The other thing is these guys having practice and qualifying this week, it's going to be very important, especially the young guys, because they have minimal experience, if any, at this track. So that slot on Saturday, it's back-to-back practice and qualifying. That's going to be very important. Those guys figured out. They figured out quick um, to get it going. So that's really the setup here as I get ready to break down who I like throughout this episode. So um, hopefully that all makes sense. So let's get to some winners here. And I know typically when I talk winners... I pick on three guys that I like, you know, that's what I normally do on every podcast episode is I try to find three guys, sometimes sprinkled in, you know, the different odds, some guys that are further down the list towards the top. That's what I try to do. This time, I only have two guys that I'm calling out specifically and then kind of a a wild card conversation. You could call it a cop out if you want to hold me accountable. Sure. But I have it more in my mind as like a different strategy play. But really, the reason for it is because I absolutely love the two guys that I'm calling out. So the first guy is Kyle Busch. I'm going to tell you right now, when they came to the checkered flag at Daytona, I was at a party for my brother-in-law's birthday, and I said to him, wow, Kyle Busch, top 10, he's going to win next week. You put it, you put it on right now. And you know, I really was waiting with bated breath to see what those odds were going to be on Kyle Busch because I really think that he's going to be the guy this week. Like, absolutely, 100% on Sunday, I was just like, yes, that momentum getting from Daytona, he is somebody that we need to look for. And I expected the odds to be like 
plus 400 or something. And that's what Larson's going off as, as the favorite. Kyle is plus 800. So when the odds dropped, I was just, you know, cross my fingers. Don't be too short. Don't be too short. And wow, do I love this number. And it hasn't moved. Like the next guy we're going to talk about, it stayed put at plus 800. So if it's there before qualifying, you get it. Because I think after qualifying, that number is going to change a little bit. Now, looking at his last 10 races, nine starts, he has three wins, seven top fives, eight top 10. So he's a guy who's been here for that full 10 race stretch or whatever. He was injured one of those years, but that is an absolutely absurd stat line in 10 races. That's 10 years, a full decade, basically racing here, three wins, seven top fives, eight top tens. A 25th place in 2016 is the only outlier in his track record here in his last nine starts here in that 10-year period. He has completed every single lap that he's set out to run in that stretch. That's 1,742 laps. He's completed all of them. And his average finish in that time span, the last 10 races, is first at 5.4. Unbelievable, right? But you said, oh, well, Phil, I thought we were focusing on last four. I got you there too, because he's first there also. All right, if you just focus on those last four races, he's also first at 3.5. His average finish improves from 5.4 to 3.5. So that's absolutely absurd. And then something even more over the top, the big kicker, driver rating is first by a long shot, 121.9. Just a week ago, we were saying the guy who had the best driver rating was like 89.9 or something. Look at this, complete opposite end of the spectrum. This is a guy who dominates here. I'm not sure if we'll see a driver rating higher than that for the stats that we talk about on the podcast on uh, other racetracks. I mean, that's just crazy. He's been in the top three the last three races. So if you want to look to that number, I think to finish in the top three, he's like plus 110. Um, he was leading over 100 laps twice in the two wins, in two of the three wins that he had. And then the other race that he won, he only led five laps. So he can get it done no matter what the flow of the race is giving him. If he's up front dominating, he can get it done. Or if he's there in the end, he can clearly get it done. So the top 10 at Daytona, I think, is just such a huge boost for this race team. I said it on the, the season preview. I really thought that he was going to have a great year. I took his over in the win total for him. And, you know, I think he's really showing that. He, he did really well at the Coliseum, which meant nothing, but he still stepped up to the plate. Racetrack at Daytona, a, a place that he has not done great historically. Coming out of that top 10 finish, that has to feel great. And the fact that practice is back here at auto club, I think he's going to be whipping that thing around and showing off that he's got a, a really good hot rod. So I am into Kyle Busch this week. I don't think you're going to get this value on race day. After they go out and practice and qualify, I think this number is going to go down. Like I said, he's got the most points earned out of everyone you know, in NASCAR at auto club in the last four races. So he should be the favorite, in my opinion. A lot of recency bias here with Larson being the favorite. I think Kyle Busch should. So Lock me in, plus 800 on that 18 car. Get it while you can, because that number is going to change. So I mentioned how I liked Kyle on Sunday, right as the checkered flag was waving, right? That was where my mind was at. A day later, we had something kind of rough happen um, for myself and, you know, friends and family. We lost someone close to us, uh, Cousin Greg. He's been on the podcast countless times. Very close to him as well. Um, worked for him. Uh, a guy named Joe, a friend of ours, passed away after battling brain cancer for a very long time. And he was a big NASCAR fan. He was actually one of the few people that Greg and I could like sit down and watch a race with where we're at here in Philadelphia. It's kind of a, a tough thing to find some people who are really into NASCAR around us. And uh, Joe was a, a great person to be able to kick back and, and drink some beers with. Well, Joe's favorite driver is Martin Truex Jr. And so when I got the news that Joe had uh, passed away, I immediately started looking up Truex's stats. And I was pleasantly surprised for what I found out because Truex is a driver that likes Auto Club Speedway. So I'm bringing up that sentimental aspect to it to kind of use it for myself as 
more of a a way to to grieve kind of thing, like turning it into a positive. Um, but if you believe in that type of stuff, right, from above, you know, I always talk about the gambling gods, but this time it's more of like, you know, just, hey, some, some good juju um, from a buddy or for a buddy, I guess. Um, Truex, when the odds broke, all right, this is, this is the flow of my night on Tuesday night. Because I was waiting for the odds to drop for Kyle, and I was also super anxious to see where we were going to get Truex as well. So I saw a tweet, and it was just displaying the first odds that were out there. And it was from a sports book in Vegas that doesn't have a mobile app, as far as I know. And they had Truex at plus 800. And I was like, okay, that's a pretty good number. Immediately after that, DraftKings came out with their number, and Truex was plus 1,400. That was a bigger discrepancy than I had ever seen, right? From the opening odds that were first available to what you actually have. And to me, that was our guy, Joe saying, Hey, you know, jump on this. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to get this done. Um, you know, you, you might not want to follow me on this one, but this is kind of where my head's at, where my heart's at plus 1400. I took it immediately. I messaged cousin Greg. I said, Hey, you got to get on this for Joe. Uh, because the next day, the odds were way down, plus 1,000, so it dropped that much. DraftKings corrected it um, overnight, and so it was just that that sliver. Now, as I'm talking about it now, he remains at plus 1,000, and I do think that that number is still very, very good for you listening to this podcast if you haven't had a chance to get that plus 1,400 number. So let's get into the, the cold, hard stats here and, and kind of get away from the sentimental aspect of it. Because, first of all, that odds change should tell you something, right? Vegas made a mistake and they corrected. At least DraftKings did. So that tells you, okay, whoa, they something was off there, and they were like, this guy has the ability to to go out and get it done. Um, because the the sports books clearly, and and right now you look around and FanDuel and DraftKings and Barstool, they all kind of have Truex at different numbers. Plus 1,000 seems to be the, the middle ground. Um, so you could still probably get them a little bit better if you search around. But the fact is the sportsbooks, you know, they're not really sure how to handicap him right now. If you look at his last 10 races, he's got one win, two top fives, and five top tens. All right. His average finish is 13.7, which is good enough for eighth. But then you focus on the last four races. He has, in the last four, all of his good stats from the last 10 races, really from these last four that we ran at Auto Club. One win, two top fives, and three top tens. And his average finish jumps up to 6.8, and he's fourth on the charts in that category. His driver rating is second in that time span, 115.7. So we're calling out the two guys who are the best driver rating at Auto Club in the last four starts here. So he has improved so much over his career. He, he's raced here a lot. And in those last four starts, he, he really has shown that he has the ability to learn the track and do better. And his average starting position is 17.5. So that tells you he can get it done from anywhere. He won from the pole, but he's able to improve his position at this racetrack. He's able to use those four or five lanes or grooves to get around people because if his average finish is 6.8 and he's starting at 17.5 my god he's passing a lot of cars to get it done so i am 100 a believer this week in truex for multiple reasons as i said from the stats and from above um, and if you just want him at top five his number is plus 135 so a very good value there as well so let's lock it in Truex, I'm already locked in at plus 1,400, but if you want to ride with us here, plus 1,000 is his number at the moment on DraftKings. Go out and get it done. Let's do it, Truex for Joe. Um, the last guy that I'm going to call out is not a guy at all. It's a manufacturer. So this is what I was toiling with this week. I, I said to myself, I got to think of this third guy. Like, Do I go super long shot and pouring through the stats? Who do I like? Who do I not like? Who am I fading? And there was just like nobody that kind of fit the bill because Alex Bowman was the last guy to win this race. And you could call that a bit of a wonky winner. And then you got a lot of Kyle Bushes in there and, you know, Jimmy Johnson, some, some big name guys, but you think to yourself, all right, well, if it's a Toyota and Chevy type of deal, 
then who's going to be a, a Chevy representative? Well, because I just can't put my finger on any of these guys, I'm just going to say Chevy plus 100. I'm going to spend uh, a lot of money on that bet to kind of make up for it. Whereas if I called out one driver, I'd spend a little bit less than that. But it's just too call, too hard to call right now. You know, you got Larson going up as the, the major favorite, plus 400. Like, that to me, I don't understand it. I don't know if it's just looking at last year and seeing how he dominated and going with that, or if there's a real reason for it. The stats didn't lead me to believe that he was like a monster at this track. So I, I don't feel right throwing out Larson here. I think Chase could get it done. I think the whole Hendrick camp could get it done. But then you're looking at some of these other Chevys that are from maybe lower tier teams. Next Gen Car, we're going to talk about that in the head-to-heads and others. It's really a crapshoot. So I'm I'm looking Chevy plus 100 here as more of like a fail-safe. Um, that's you know maybe a cop-out, but I like it. I think it's a strategy play here because I really like the first two guys that I called out. So if it comes down to Chevy, I don't know who to take. I'm throwing a little bit more money on plus 100 for that whole camp. So to recap, going with the whole Chevy camp plus 100, Kyle Busch plus 800, and Martin Truex Jr. right now plus 1,000. Those are picks to win this week at Auto Club. Truex Jr. is going to be aggressive. Denny Hamlin out front. Aggressive goes around. Next up is the finishing position section here. And... Can I go on a quick rant about this for just a second here? Because I'm hoping that the sports books are just a little slow coming out of hibernation here for NASCAR because this used to be, at least last year, 2021, this was my favorite section. Loved the top 10s and I loved the top 20s because you were able to really have some fun betting on some guys with some decent value. So, but more of a long shot driver, a little off the beaten trail. And the odds that we're getting right now for top 10s and top 20s, especially top 20s, are just making it so it's almost impossible to put money down on them. The, they're either really, really short odds or the guys that are getting like plus odds or, or anywhere near break even are guys that have no shot. So it's very frustrating. And I say have no shot kind of in air quotes here. Uh, because we are going to talk about some guys who do have shots. But this is a section, like, I could easily call out some guys. Um, at least there were some guys in mind that I had in my head for top 10s that I wanted to talk about this week. But then when you look at some of their odds, they're like minus 200, minus 175, minus 215. Those, that's not the, the essence of this section, right? I like calling out for value, taking shots at this area. And so... That's less fun to me. I'm hoping that the sports books get back to what they were here. But if this is the trend, maybe I'll have to kind of grit my teeth and bear it and, and get used to those uh, giving up that value. But for now, I'm going to do my best and we'll see if we can hit on any of these. I guess that will help dictate how we want to play it. So right now, and the other thing is the, the odds are all over the place. DraftKings odds are, are kind of crazy. You got MGM and Barstool. They're all showing different values. FanDuel's not even in the game yet. They they are so late with their odds um, that it's almost not worth it. Paying attention to them until Sunday. So right now, all these guys I'm looking at are on Barstool for top 10s. I don't have anyone at the moment for top 20s. I'm hoping that maybe on Sunday I can, you know, put a tweet out or insta story out with a, a bet there but for now we're talking top tens first guy i'm looking at he's the best value of the bunch at plus 200 we got austin dillon going for a top 10 here now this is a big swing obviously it's a super value pick but when i dug into austin i saw that number and i was thinking to myself well plus 200 that's pretty good for Austin. I don't think he's like too crazy to, to get this done here. He's had seven races in his career at Auto Club, two top tens. So even right there, two for seven, eh, it's not too bad, plus 200. But when you dig in a little bit further, you see something a little bit more interesting. Average finish is 15.1. Okay. That's kind of what you'd expect for this value. Two 10th place finishes and two 11th place finishes in seven starts. So four of the seven, we're right there. And that is what I'm looking for. He's around it. He's not just, you know, 
just a couple top tens and then like a million uh, or the rest of them in the 20s or 30s. No, he was there. And, and an average finish overall, 15.1. That's not too shabby. His driver rating is 80.1. But looking at similar tracks, right? I mentioned that earlier. Pulling that in because he doesn't have too much to pull from at Auto Club. Uh, but I again, liking what I'm seeing in Auto Club just a little bit. He's going to give you a shot. At the average, or sorry, similar racetracks, he's eighth best in average finish in the last two years. Six of the nine races that we're talking about, he finished in the top 10. So this is more focused. These similar tracks are more focused to last year and maybe one or two races in 2020. So six of nine top 10 finishes there, that's worth a shot. You combine that with what we just said about Auto Club specifically, and then you tack on the next-gen car, you know, RCR, kind of using that to their advantage. Um, I think, Austin, it'd be interesting to see how he does. I'm going to call out this again when we get to the head-to-head section for uh, a couple guys, but you almost have to use these few first few races as a learning experience, an education almost, on who is good with this new car and will it actually produce more of a chance for some of these lower tier teams to actually bring a winning car or a decent car to the track because that was the whole advertisement was you know these smaller teams have a better chance to win well you know we're calling out Austin Dillon here to finish in the top 10 if he's not even on it like bad off the truck bad practice bad qualifying bad race and so is his teammate then I'm starting to doubt that but it's going to be you know a few races we're going to need to give it time because Daytona was not a, a, a use case for that we're gonna have to let it build up a little bit, but so use these bets, you know, either bet on them and keep track of it or don't bet on them, but still keep track of it because then you'll be able to kind of sculpt a better picture later this year as we're getting to some of these other tracks on the next gen conversation. So a little bit of side rant there, but Austin Dillon plus 200, I think is worth a shot for decent odds here. The next guy I'm looking at is plus 125 and this guy i'm gonna try not to go on too much of a rant here but it's christopher bell so he's a a young guy and he only has one start at this racetrack he finished 38th he had engine failure 30 laps or sorry 80 laps into the race when he's driving that 95 car doesn't it feel like christopher bell's been in that 20 for like forever uh but the fact is he hasn't. And, you know, just a couple years ago, he was driving the 95. So he has grown up so much since the last time that we were here. Um, so I think that this is somebody you should keep your eye on because maybe the sports books aren't really looking at him because he had such a bad start. The one track that he had here, the 20 team, number 20 Joe Gibbs racing team, has had a lot of success here, as we'll talk about in a second in another guy. Uh, but then, you know, you got to look at similar tracks for a guy like this. And he has one top five, three top tens, and nine starts on those similar racetracks we mentioned. His average finish is 15.9. And that brings me into the game, right? He has been able the last year or so to, to kind of show that he's into it. Three top tens out of nine, that's 33% top 10 percentage on those tracks. That's not too shabby for a plus 125 value when you're not getting much value anywhere. I'm into that. So give me Christopher Bell plus 125. Practice and qualifying are going to be big here if you're focusing on this team. So keep your eyes peeled. I would hope that they show a lot of speed, in which case the value is going to go the other way and you're not going to get that much. So you kind of have to have some blind faith here and put it on the 20 ahead of that and then hope that they go out and qualify well. So lock me in Christopher Bell plus 125 in the top 10 last driver we're going to talk about is another one that you're going to want to watch for and it's brad keselowski in that six car he's minus 109 to finish in the top 10 on barstool so this is a big name and his odds could change as the weekend goes on this is somebody that you know maybe could go the other way but we'll see in 10 races for brad keselowski because he's been around for a while he has one win five top fives six top tens He's got six top tens in a row. That's what we're looking for, right? Top tens. He's on that streak. So 
Gotta love that. His last four races, specifically, his driver rating is fourth, 104.6, and his average finish is tied for first with Kyle Busch, 3.5. So you're telling me that you can get a guy like that with those numbers and he's minus 109 to finish in the top 10? That's damn good. What are you missing? Well, we're missing the fact that he's not in that same ride anymore. He's over on the six car. And, you know, he's got Daytona to, to blind us, right? He, he raced well at Daytona. He was leading a lot of laps. He was up front battling, wrecking people, big part of that race. And it's easy to kind of say, well, Brad was in that. He was showing speed. He was part of that. So, yeah, why wouldn't he be a lock for the top 10? Well, it's because Daytona's a super speedway. This is the real deal here. We're going to see what kind of speed this team can bring. And so this is another one where you got to keep your eye on it. Is this a, a situation where Brad gets onto a racetrack that he's just naturally good at and he shows that talent and he's able to will this car to a top 10? Or is the team holding him back? We're going to see here. But I'm going to bet on him getting it done minus 109 to finish in the top 10 because the odds are solid for a guy with those numbers. So um, I got to take advantage of it when I see it. So the recap there is Brad minus 109, Christopher Bell plus 125, and the longer shot Austin Dillon plus 200 all to finish in the top 10. We're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. So let's get to talking some Head-to-head -head matchups as I'm coming off a, a big win in the full tank face-off, like I said. Going up against Derek, 3-0 was the outcome there. I kind of wish I parlayed my guys there in that face-off. But um, in any case, still victorious and off to a 1-0 start there. We'll see how we do the rest of the year. We have more guests on, including Derek, down the road. Um, so let's talk about head-to-heads because similar to what I was just saying about the finishing position bets, I'm not loving a lot of the matchups here that we're seeing. Um, I, I don't know if I'm just kind of in a funk from Daytona or if it really is the sports books not giving us much to work off of. Now, I think more so it's it's just I'm so used to DraftKings and we're going to do an episode down the road here in a few weeks of like kind of ranking the sports books again this year on their NASCAR coverage. Uh, but for now, I'm used to using DraftKings as like my go-to, and their head-to-head -head matchups this week not being on point um, with a lot of like variety is really just driving me nuts. So then I'm scouring the the other ones trying to find the best matchups that I can get, and uh, it just you know makes it a little difficult. It is funny to see those sports books are having their normal head-to-head -head matchups, but then they've got a section. Multiple uh, books have this. It says featured matchups, and each book kind of has like their own take on that. Uh, DraftKings typically has it so that it's pretty like even, whereas I think Barstool has it doesn't matter what the hell. It's just like all over the place. Um, MGM's a little bit different. So I don't know what qualifies as a featured matchup, but hey, uh, at least they're trying something new. So before I get into my three picks, I got three matchups here that I'm going to call out. I just want to say I, I loved Kyle Busch. I loved uh, Truex here, and, and they're going up against a couple of guys. So Kyle is plus 120 to go against Kyle Larson, who is minus 145. Again, maybe I'm just missing something. I know it's Larson. I know he's a California boy. Um, but as far as the stats were concerned, I'm just not seeing it. So it has to be just based off of uh, what he did last year. But I'm 100% comfortable taking Kyle Busch plus 120 in that head-to-head -head matchup because of everything I said earlier in this episode. Again, looking at another matchup, Truex is taking on Joey Logano. Logano's got good speed here, good numbers, but he is driving a Ford, and we said that they're kind of um, off it here, even though Roger Penske is like one of the founders or something of this racetrack. Uh, Ford's been struggling. So I like Truex. These are even odds right now. I like Truex over Logano. Just a couple quick hitters here from some of the matchups or the, the drivers that we talked about to win the race. So if I like them to win the race, clearly, I think it's a, a decent shot here in this head-to-head -head matchup. Now, let's get to some of the picks here. We're going to start with an absolutely phenomenal job by the sports books. I know I was just kind of ripping on them a bit, but this matchup is Daniel Suarez 
Eric Jones. This is on Barstool when it's a featured matchup there. They are both going off at minus 114, so even matchup. This is great because even if you don't bet it, you use this as another one of those case studies like I talked about earlier because you want to see how guys like this perform, right? These are young guys. They're in different rides from the last time they were at Auto Club. So Suarez has had quite a, a career, but the last time he was here, he was driving the, the 96 car, and Eric Jones was still in the 20 car when he was here. So things are, are clearly different, and that to me is interesting because now both of these guys are in lower equipment. You know, I'm not taking a shot at track house, but we're petty for that case, but they are lower than where they were. I mean, these are one-time teammates. I think they were teammates for maybe one year. Um, and they're both only have four races of experience at this track. So there's so many similarities between these two guys and head to head their season or their series against each other. They're two and two a piece. So very funny that that's how it is. And then on top of that, the similarities continue in that they were one car shops last year and just acquired a second team, both of them. You got Ty Dillon joining Eric Jones, and you've got Kurt Busch joining Daniel Suarez. Now, I think overall, most people would say that Trackhouse is a stronger team overall, financially, and and with the talent that they have, adding Kurt. Uh, but you know, I would say that this matchup is just a, a damn good one. So I want to keep my eyes on how these two perform over the first part of this season, because if they are performing well, then that's telling you that that next-gen hype really does have something to it. Looking at it there, similar tracks, Suarez has the edge. If you're looking at just Auto Club, it's Eric Jones by a mile. So let's look at Suarez first in four races at Auto Club. One top 10 finish. He has two top 20 finishes in four races. His average finish is 17.8. Not great. His best finish is 7th at Auto Club, and that was his first ever start here. Then you go to Jones, four races, two top 10s, four top 20. So 100% of the time he's finishing in that top 20, that's something that I wanna see. His average finish is 12.0, that's a huge advantage compared to Suarez. His best finish is also seventh at this racetrack um, a couple races ago. So similar tracks, you look at more of the more recent races from last year and, and a little bit of 2020, and Suarez clearly has a, a better track record there. Um, he really did well last year, surprising a lot of people in the 99, whereas Jones didn't impress that much in the 43. That step down, I think, really affected him, whereas Suarez was kind of fighting a little bit. He was on his way up from the 96, uh, getting into that track house ride. So Suarez has some better stats here on the similar racetracks. Um, one top 15, three top 20s for Eric Jones, three top 15s, five top 20s for Suarez. My pick here, though, is going to be Eric Jones. Um, I, I like what I see at this racetrack. I know that it was in Gibbs equipment and this is a, a different ride, but I think the rides are similar. And I think when you're someone who has proven that you clearly like it, right? He hasn't finished outside of the top 20 before. That's a huge plus in my, my column. So I'm going with Jones. I'm kind of rooting for him, honestly, because Trackhouse has kind of proven that they're a, a, a team that is on the up and up. I want Petty GMS to, to be something. Um, so kind of cheering for Jones, but also I think that he is the, the better driver at this racetrack, and I think it makes sense. So lock me in, minus 114 for the 43 car. Next matchup is another Butte. Teammates and a big one. I was toiling between these two, looking at potential race winners. It's William Byron versus Alex Bowman. This is on Barstool right now, and it's on DraftKings. Minus 120 for Alex Bowman. Excuse me. Minus 120 for William Byron as the favorite. Alex Bowman's going off at minus 110 at this point in time. So, I think we're going to see a lot of these two guys this season going up against each other. They're so similar. I couldn't put my finger on it. Looking at the stats, um, I just couldn't find who I like to, to put my name on to win the race. So I said, all right, well, let me look at these two just one-on-one. -on -one. 
Alex Bowman has five starts here. He has one win, but that was actually his only top 10 finish. He dominated that race, and it was the last time we were here. 110 laps led. He started third. He obviously had a great vehicle. And so the question is, can they do that again? You know, are they able to look back at their notes? Are they able to bring the same setup? Are they able to capture that magic? Because they clearly had something that everyone else did. I mean, that was a, a powerhouse race. And I would also say that it was a surprise because his stats, other than that, are not great at Auto Club. His average finish is 18.0, three finishes outside of the top 20. So, you know, that's interesting to me. And um, makes you think, was it a flash in the pan or do they actually have something to this track? He does have the 2-1 advantage on Byron when they've been on the track at the same time. Old Willie B has three starts here. Every single one of them is 15th place finish. He led a lap in all three races. So consistency. I mean, 15th three times in a row. If you're telling me that he's going to go out and finish 15th this week, I think I would be interested in taking him knowing that he's 15th I would take him uh, over Bowman in this matchup just to, you know, hope that something happens to the 88. Because if you're going to give me that consistency, i got to take advantage of it. The thing is, though, I, that's not enough for me to just go off of. So looking at the similar tracks, William Byron stands out to me. His average finish is 8.3 compared to Bowman's 17.4. And the driver rating is also way better for Byron, 103 to 85. He's got six top 10s. Bowman has three top 10s in that nine-race similar track time span over the last year and a half. So give me William Byron on this, minus 120. Um, he has learned a lot since the last time we were here, and I think he's a, a potential race winner, honestly. I was looking at it hard. I just couldn't find the, the edge that I needed to put my name on him, so... Uh, I'm liking him in this matchup to beat the 88. I think last time was really just a flash of magic, and I think it's going to fall over to his teammate in the 24 car. So lock me in there, minus 120 for Byron. The last matchup we have, I'm not leaving you on a, a sour note here, okay? I'm not going out like a fart in the wind. No, this is a slobber knocker, all right? Heavyweight battle here earlier in the season, second race in. It's an absolute toss-up. Denny Hamlin versus Chase Elliott. They got these two guys head-to-head, and they're both minus 110. So let's try to make heads or tails of this coin flip. Let's look at Denny Hamlin first. He is the person who has an active driver with the longest winless streak at this racetrack. 19 races, zero wins. In 10 races, the last 10, zero wins, one top five, four top tens. His average finish, 15.4. Not crazy good, not crazy bad, but the thing is, he improved drastically recently. He's got three straight top tens at this racetrack. So that is something that we talked about with Truex, right? You got to look at the guys who have improved over time. These big-time veterans, I mean, 19 races of experience at this racetrack, and just now he's starting to figure out, like, Wow, you know, what does he have left to prove here? He's, he's, he can get that win, maybe. Um, well, I've got a crazy stat for you with Denny Hamlin. I did a little bit of digging here, and what I found was actually pretty weird. So what it looks like to me is that Denny Hamlin's Daytona success or failures have a direct correlation with how he performs at Auto Club. So bear with me on this one, all right, because this is... From 2011 up till now, all right, six times he has finished in the top five at Daytona. And in all but one of those, he has finished in the top 11 at Auto Club. All right, so what I'm saying there is top five finishes at Daytona, good finishes at Auto Club. All right, three times he has finished outside of the top 14 at Daytona. So that's 14th, that's a 25th, and that's a 38th place finish at Daytona. And those three times, he has finished poorly at Auto Club. So that is extremely interesting to me because he finished 37th this week at Daytona. So if that trend were to continue, whatever it is, it's clear. This is not just like a tiny little sliver of, of pattern here. This is since 2011. Success at Daytona, success at Auto Club. 
failure at Daytona, failure at Auto Club. And when I say failure, I mean, you know, 20s, 30s. And in a head-to-head matchup, that's enough to kind of put a nail in the coffin here. So wild stat there for Denny Hamlin. So now you look at Chase, a little bit different end of the spectrum here because we're not talking about a, a huge veteran. He's only got five starts at Auto Club. One top five, three top tens. His average finish is 9.4. And when you're looking at just those last, excuse me, if you're looking at all of the last 10 races, that time span, he's second in average finish. But I also think that that 9.4 is a pretty good representation of his time. It's not just like a wild sporadic number. No, they're really kind of close together in that area, um, in around like 7th and 13th and 10th. So 9.4 is really where Chase lands. It's it's pretty consistent there. He has the ability to win the race, in my opinion. In that Hendrick camp, any one of those guys has the opportunity to get it done. And then he's a, he's a champion in the past. So he gains positions at this racetrack. He's shown that he can do that. His average starting position is 16.3. So obviously a 9.4 number. Average finish is something to be said. And he's finished on the lead lap all but one race here. In 2018, he finished one lap down. So um, he'll be on that lead lap. And, you know, there if there's not a lot of cautions, there could be not too many cars on that lead lap. So similar racetracks. Nothing really to gain, in my opinion, on that area. I mean, both of these guys have solid numbers there on similar tracks. Hamlin has more top fives. Chase has more top tens. And they're similar on average finish. So not too much you can pull from here. So because of the Daytona stuff, I'm going to go with Chase. The, the Denny Hamlin fumble of the ball there, finishing 37th, that's clearly a factor. I mean, you could say that it's not, but the stats would say it is. Then on top of that, you look at the other side. Chase finished 10th. And that's a pretty big deal for, for these big camps who have big aspirations of trying to win the championship to be able to survive Daytona with a nice solid top 10. You can kind of wrap that up, put a bow on it. Okay. You know, we avoid the big fanfare, you know, we don't have to deal with all the media stuff. We're just moving on to the next race. I think that's a big deal. So lock me in for the nine car of Chase Elliott against Denny Hamlin. So to recap, it's Eric Jones minus 114. William Byron, minus 120, and Chase Elliott, minus 110. Those are my head-to-head picks this week. All right, so in the Phil's Fired Up section, this is typically where I go on a rant, and I am about to do that in a second. But wanted to throw in one quick thing. You know, I talked a little bit earlier about the sentimental pick with Truex. Um, I've got a, a parlay here. I caught it on Instagram last week. The Shea Parlay. My daughter's birthday is this week. I used the Shea Parlay for Daytona, and it missed. Uh, it was a three-leg parlay for her birth date, and it missed. Last year, it hit. Big money last year. But I realized after it missed that I messed up. I shouldn't have played it at Daytona because her birthday is closer to Auto Club. So I went in, tried to pull in the, the Shea Parlay. Because of the, the head-to-head matchups working out the way it was, I couldn't put the full three-leg parlay in. So I'm riding the Shea Parlay this week. Her birthday party is on Sunday. We'll be having the race on. I'm going to turn off Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and we're going to be putting on Auto Club Speedway during that party. And we're going to take the... Two car Austin Cindric over Austin Dillon uh, for the two the February number and going to be taking William Byron the 24 for 224 for her birthday over Martin Truex. I know we liked Dillon and Truex on this episode, but it's a shape parlay. It's a little fun time, so if you want to ride with it, we'll see if it hits. That would give you plus 281. Um, so that is a little bit more magic that we're hoping for this week. Um, you know the the karma that whatever you want to call it little extra juju. Um, that's where we're going with this week. So I played it a week too early. Hopefully Auto Club can connect. Now, let's get to some rants here, at least one. And this to me, you know, if I'm wrong here, if I'm off base with this take, please let me know on Instagram at Full Tank Phil or Twitter, same handle. Um, it's something that's kind of grinding my gears and it does relate to gambling in some way. So we've been hearing so much about the next-gen car all off-season. And one of the things that was different about this vehicle was one big lug nut 
on the tires. And in the offseason, I saw some guys like breaking that down on YouTube or on, you know, Fox Sports and doing little vignettes on that stuff. And, you know, it never really clicked to me like, okay, you know, that's that's interesting. I don't know why they would do that. I, I guess it's easier. And this was really the first race or the first time where we had an opportunity to see, you know, real pit stops. And I was expecting like, wow, you know, are we going to see a lot faster pit stops because they just have to do one big lug nut and that's it. Just boom, boom, boom. Done. Um, so I was anxious to see these pit stops. Now, what we saw in the first stage at Daytona was two different vehicles, two completely different teams have tires flying across the racetrack, popped off. And that obviously is not what NASCAR is looking for. It's a huge safety concern to have those monster tires flying, bouncing all around. Could hit a car, could it go into the grandstands, whatever. Worst case scenario, imagine it. Um, so Larry Mack got on, and as he does, he is the absolute king, in my opinion, of the NASCAR media. He did a great job, as always, of explaining the what's going on with this racetrack and, or excuse me, with this race car and the tire. He said, it's not enough to get the lug nut on and secure because inside the inside part of the tire has grooves that it needs to fit into. So you could technically put the lug nut on and not have those, he used a different word than grooves, but, or rivets, uh, but those have to be locked in as well. Otherwise, you could end up in this situation where you have a loose tire. And to me, that is bullshit. Because my first thought is like, well, if that's the case, why get away from using the regular lug nuts? Like, why do they have to use one big lug nut and then have this like mystery situation going on behind the tire to try to get it in? I, I understand that there's they're going to have to adapt, and that will actually become the skill, right, is to know where that is, where that locks in. I understand that. But it's not something that people like us, the gamblers, can kind of quantify. Whereas in the past, you're able to see with your own eyes how these guys are at handling the lug nuts. So even if you put a tire on incorrectly with the new tire, and it's not on all the way, it's only a black and white scenario, right? It's not it's either flying off in the middle of the race or it's on. So there's no way to tell, well, maybe it wasn't in just right, but they were able to complete the race, so we'll never know. When the old system was happening, you could see like there was a lug nut that didn't get tight. The cameras can see that you know maybe he didn't get to a lug nut as much as he wanted to. You could keep stats on that stuff, or at least the, the media and the, the TV stations did and, and called that stuff out. And you could hear guys say, you know, I don't think I got that last lug nut on or after the race, hey, we only had a few, one of the lug nuts was loose, that sort of thing. I think they were trying to get away from post-race inspection stuff with the lug nuts. That was a big thing, I guess, a year ago, maybe a couple years ago. Um, they wanted to get away from those conversations in the NASCAR world on Mondays and Tuesdays. Oh, lug nuts ruined a race for someone. And I get that part of it. But if I'm betting on Justin Haley, I want to know that I want to be able to see with my own eyes if something went wrong with that pit stop. I don't want my guys that I'm betting on putting a wheel on a tire and then kind of like hoping and praying that this bullshit rivet system worked out on the back end and the tire's not going to go flying off. It drives me nuts that they kind of change something for no reason. So I feel like I'm an old man yelling in a cloud right now. But as a gambler, it upsets me because I used to be able to see with my own two eyes that the wheel was on tight, the, the camera caught that for the television, and I was able to see that. Now they put that one lug nut in, there's no way of knowing what's going on behind the scenes with that tire. And that's frustrating to me. As a fan, that's frustrating. And as a gambler, that's frustrating because as the season goes on, you know, you start to be able to quantify that data, you know, who are the fastest pit crews, who are the best at it, and who has problems, who's messed things up, who's, you know, fucked up the lug nuts in the past. Okay, we want to stay away from those guys. We want to stay away from the, the problem pit crews. Um, that's not as possible anymore with this system. So, again, 
I am fired up about it. I don't know if I'm justified in feeling this way. Uh, I don't know if I'm just mad that I had Justin Haley and he got kind of screwed by this new tire or if there is something to it. So you can let me know if I'm off base here. And if you hated everything that I just said, I'm sorry. But uh, that's really what's grinding my gears this week. And I'm keeping tabs on that type of stuff with this new car because, you know, race number one, and I'm already complaining about the next gen car. It was supposed to be like this end all be all machine. So we'll keep tabs. Obviously, I'm mostly a positive guy, but this is a, an opportunity to call something out that I didn't like. So there it is. And uh, hopefully we see no tires flying across the racetrack at Auto Club. Well, with that, that'll get us to the end of another episode of the Full Tank with Phil podcast. Thanks again for jumping on with us. We're going to break out of our Daytona hangover and go get it done at Auto Club, feeling really strong about our winner picks and the looking for some value with the finishing position picks and the head-to-heads. Oh, baby. I think we're going to cash in big there as well. So let's get it done. We're going to start our West Coast trip out the right way, and we'll see you next week at Phoenix. Remember, drive fast, take chances, and we'll see you next time. Have no place to go. Have no place to go. Have no place to go.